Welcome everybody to World is a Mess, and I just want to steampunk it. This is episode 77. This is September 21st, 2022. I'm your host, Steampunk Star Raisin, and I'm here in North Hollywood, California, USA. And I'm here with my co-host, Daniel Bertison. He is in Bellwood, Ontario, Canada. How's it going, Daniel? Hi, I'm doing better. Thanks. How you doing? Well, that's good. I'm glad you're doing better. So what's on your mind? Uh, okay, first of all, uh, let's talk about the let's talk about uh, what's happening in Ukraine. Okay, let me go to my main source, which is Al Jazeera. I really like Al Jazeera because I feel like they give a non-biased view of the Ukrainian war on U.S. It's always about, well, you know, Putin this, Putin, you know, you know, Putin can't stand up against Ukraine and the United States, you know. And so, you know, when I hear Western media it tends to be a lot of propaganda and then, you know, of course, Russia today is going to have the Russian side of that propaganda. So I like something that's a little bit more neutral, uh, like uh, Al Jazeera. And they have a really good Ukraine war map that's updated live, which, which I, well, they did have. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah, so let me, uh, let me go ahead and share. Share this, the sharing screen. Clicking on sharing screen. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay, so this is a live map. That's one thing I like. This is a live map. This is not a static map. This is uh, day 210 of the war, September 21st, 2022. 10 o'clock uh, Greenwich Mean Time. And, you know, of course, <clears throat> the, the white areas are Ukrainian. The white areas are Ukrainian-held territory. The blue areas are Ukrainian counteroffensives. The red areas are Russian sphere of influence or, or Russian-controlled territory. And the yellow area is the Donbass region that Russia has claimed for itself but has not currently conquered yet. And um, within the last week, Russia has suffered some severe setbacks. They lost the, the city of uh, Izum. I think that's how you pronounce it, Izum. Mm-hmm. And they lost a lot of territory to the east of Kharkiv. And there's a lot of guerrilla activity behind the lines. Uh, they're launching a counterattack, looks like right here. Uh, they're, uh, the Ukrainians are, are attacking here towards the center. I guess they're trying to reach Maripol, but they, they've yet to reach Maripol. They've yet to retake Kyrgyzstan. The Ukrainian army has been launching a lot of uh, counterattacks towards Kyrgyzstan, but for whatever reason, they have failed to take Kyrgyzstan. So I think the critical tipping point for Russia losing the war would be if they could retake Kyrgyzstan and cut off the water supply to Crimea. That was the whole reason why the Russian army took Kyrgyzstan was so that they could capture the the dike 
that uh, that was uh, provide that was blocked that was that uh, used to provide water supply to Crimea. They reopened up the water supply uh, because they had a critical water shortage in the Crimean region, and so. But for whatever reason, Ukrainian army has not been able to mount an effective counterattack towards Kyrgyzstan. Uh, yeah, they captured a lot of territory near Kharkiv, but they had already retaken Kharkiv, you know, like six months ago. Uh, this is just a bunch of smaller towns. And yeah, it's a lot of territory to lose, but until they kick Russia out of Kyrgyzstan, Maripol, and the Donetsk uh, and Luhansk region, um, I don't see any end to the, uh, to the war in sight. Putin has also stated that he is uh, calling up more reserves. He's doing a partial mobilization of about 300,000 troops because from what I understand, the, uh, the Russian army, they had about 150,000 troops. Let's see, Russian troop strength. A lot of that's probably going to be... Uh, classified says currently there are 136 battalion tactical groups in the armed forces uh, the number of conscripts is around 225,000 the number of contractors amounts to 405,000 but anyway from what I heard uh, let me stop sharing that the, Ru the Russian army had about 150,000 troops at the start of the war. They've lost about 15% of that, or what I had read. So that's maybe they've lost 22,000, 25,000 troops. And that create, and they also, that creates logistical issues. They've lost a lot of uh, armored vehicles, a lot of uh, supply trucks. Uh, so they, they're having logistical problems and a lot of their, uh, the majority of their army appears to be conscripts who are poorly trained. So, and also poorly motivated. So we'll see, um, you know, the West is already saying that this is a major victory, but I, you know, yes, they did capture snipping amount of territory, but they need to capture strategic points before you can say it's a major victory. They need to kick Russia out of Crimea, Kyrgyzstan, and Maripol. But yeah, so I, you know, it's, it's hard to say um, when this war will end. Um, but Anyway, so what, what's your thoughts on the Ukrainian war, Daniel? Wow, it's crazy. Like, you know, one man and his little temper tantrum can cause all this. Basically, that's what he is. Well, yeah, I mean, he's trying to become like a czar of Russia. Uh, you know, Putin is not communist. He's capitalist. He's allied with the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh He's politicized and weaponized religion. Um, and um, and he's become the Antichrist. 
basically. Uh, he's not the Antichrist. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. You know, um, I'm a, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I I believe in the the scientific method. There's just no evidence for God. And uh, you know, uh, uh, other than mythological text, but uh, I mean, I respect religion, but I don't think that you know we got to be careful about getting into mysticism and superstition. Um, religion can have a very important uh, historical context, um, and you have to be free from religion to have freedom of religion. So, yeah, I don't, I don't view Putin as the antichrist. Uh, but Putin is, you know, he's not good either, but you know, the Ukrainian side, they do have Nazi militias that they're allied with. And so there's a bit of gray on both sides. I don't think there's, there's the Nazis are still around. Oh, yeah, they're not the new. You'll be talking about neo Nazis, yeah. right? Yeah, there, there's neo Nazi militias in the Ukrainian army, and there's more than one battalion. It's not just the. Um, uh, let's see. Ukraine's neo Nazi militia. You know, the okay, I was trying to think of the name, it was the Azov Battalion. I mean, it's very subtle neo Nazi militia because they, they have an armband that's like you know, got the Ukrainian flag, and you know, it says Azov Battalion. But if you know anything about Azov, who was a Nazi Ukrainian Nazi collaborator during World War II, and the fact yeah. that and the, yeah, and the fact that the fact that uh, um, Azov is listed as national hero of Ukraine when he shouldn't be, and that the the Ukrainian government um, has uh, basically. Uh, banned any other parties that they deem to be too pro-Russian, which is very anti-democratic. You know, there wasn't there was a, an elderly lady that was that, that was in, in Ukraine and she said like even the Nazis are not as brutal as the Russians are now. That might be true based on her perspective. We're not there on the ground to give, you know, I mean, there's been reports of war crimes committed by the Russian army. Like I said, there are no good guys in this. No. Uh, they, you know, because like some of the areas that Ukraine took, they, they, they claim that they found mass graves with murdered civilians. But who's to say, I mean, the Russian army, if they found dead bodies, they would definitely bury them. So who's to say whether these were murdered or was it friendly fire? Was it the fog of war? You know, you, you can't just jump to conclusions until you have a little bit more critical data. You need empirical data 
multiple sources of data. You need to use the scientific method. The scientific method can be your guide to clearing the fog of war or clearing, you know, clearing the fog of data that you get in and to be able to discern the difference between gossip. Uh, Dad, Dad, she's outside. What's, hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's oh, going I'm sorry. On? I, I thought I we're thought doing I a live know. recording, dude. What's going on? Hello? No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, continue. Okay. Um, everything okay with your dad? What's going on? Oh, oh no, no, no. She, he accidentally locked someone outside. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn, your dog is freaking out. Well, he's just happy. So continue. Yeah, that's all I really have to say about the update of the Ukraine war. Um, I mean, oh, oh, by the way, you know what? I was, I was watching. One second. Okay. So, anyways. Um, can you see me? I can see you. What's up? What's okay, so up? You know why what? is your, why is your dog coming... freaking out? What's going on? I don't know. On? He he's lonely. But I, anyways, um, I was I was heading home with my mom, and I heard that Putin was threatening the world, saying, "Don't get involved in this in this because he's got nuclear weapons. He's threatening the world." That is true. Weapons. This is very scary because, uh, you know, this could start a nuclear war. We're just escalating, escalating, and escalating, and I, uh, that's another thing about Putin that's really bad is he's used nuclear weapons. He said that, you know, he's put nuclear weapons on the table that if Russian territories are attacked, he will, he will use nuclear weapons. And so I, I, you know, if that's true, then that'll spell the end of the world as we know it, where you're probably talking about like 99% of the population of the world uh, wiped out with it. Yeah, year. but you know what? The world's, they said if he tries anything, they're not going to let him do it. And if he tries anything, everyone's going to gang up on him. I don't him know. Up. I mean, he is a strong man of Russia. We will see. This is very chaotic and very dangerous. I, If I were Biden, I would try to, you know, Putin is not a good man. Don't get me wrong. But you, for the sake of the world, you shouldn't risk nuclear war just over the Ukraine conflict. We should seek for peace and negotiations so that we can end the fighting and end the threats of nuclear war. Because we're we're closer than ever to the chance of nuclear war because of this war. And so, uh, and you know, the longer this war drags on, who knows what the hell will happen? But yeah, yeah. it's very scary times as far as that. Uh, and also, like I've said in previous podcast i'm really worried about what's going to happen uh to the world food supply because ukraine was known as the breadbasket of the world and with this war disrupting production uh it uh it's going to make it much harder for people to get food around the world and it's going to continue to increase the price of food 
uh, making things even more difficult and politically and, um, and creating more political instability worldwide. So I worry that this could be the start of a world war if we're not careful. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this guy seems a little bit unstable. Like if you try to talk to him, he'll just go crazy. Right. So I don't know. I mean, do you leave him alone or do you try to negotiate with him? Because negotiating doesn't help. Right. They tried to negotiate with him many times, but he just said, you know, he just told everybody, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this, whether you like it or not. Right. So there's no negotiating with this guy. Just, just this guy. Well, I disagree. I think there's room for negotiation. You at least got to try. You don't have to agree on negotiation, but we're not even we don't even have a direct line of dialogue open up right now. At least talk. Yeah, you may not be able to negotiate with him. Uh, he may not cooperate, but you at least got to open up a line of dialogue that make things and makes things more both more empathetic on both sides so that we can avoid nuclear war. That's the biggest thing I worry about. This Yeah, I know. Once but, once the nukes start dropping, then they're going to retaliate. You know, the West will retaliate with more nukes. And then the next thing you know, civilization as we know it and most people are gone. Yeah. I mean, this guy's got definite mental problems, man. Well, I'm not going to speculate into the head of Putin. But yeah, he, you know, he used to be a KGB colonel during the Soviet Union. He, he's always been very devious and he's been he's had pretty much dictatorial power since the late 90s. Uh, I'm seeing here, you know, like since since the Russian Federation was created, you had Boris Yeltsin and then Putin, then uh, Dmitry. Uh, Dimitri, and then you had President Dimitri, whatever, however you pronounce his last name, and then Putin back in power again since 2012. But even under D the leadership of Dimitri uh, uh, Medvedev, uh, Vedov, or Medvedev, you know, anyway, even under the leadership of President Dimitri, you still had Putin. He was basically, a lot of people were saying he was Putin's puppet. And Putin still was controlling the strings. And so you really, since the late 90s, Russia has been under, you know, authoritarian leadership of Putin. And um, so I, I don't know if there's going to be an end in sight for this whatsoever. Uh, I don't know any, anytime soon. I can't really judge. I don't have enough information. But from all the information I'm seeing, there, uh, the war is going to indefinitely continue to, uh, to go on because, yes, the Ukrainian army, like at the Battle of Kiev, uh, has had some decisive victories, but they haven't been able to fully kick Russia out of uh, eastern Ukraine. You still there? Yep, I'm here. See anything else you have to add to this before we move on to another? Yeah, topic? I don't. I don't think. I don't think they could because Russia is bigger than Ukraine, right? So, yeah, that's kind of like an ant versus an elephant. 
sort of, right? Uh, well, Russia does have a, a larger army, better equipment. They have more equipment than the Ukrainian army. And I think that's part of the reason why Ukraine um, hasn't been able to effectively retake Kyrgyzstan, uh, which would be, um, should be their next strategic goals to retake that city because then they can cut off the water supply to Crimea. But um, I know I saw a news article where it said that the Ukraine um, army was trying to buy Abrams tanks from the United States. So we, we shall see, because they said that they need those tanks for, uh, to be able to counterattack. Uh, and they have mostly old Soviet equipment. So uh, we shall see uh, what happens, but uh, it could take many months for those tanks to deploy. So I, I don't know when the, there's, for what I can tell, there's no decisive end to the war within sight. It's just going to continue to go on. It could go on for years. Yeah. So we'll have to see if the rumors that Putin is dying of cancer are true. Uh, I don't know what would happen if Putin were to die of cancer. Uh, who would take over? Would they continue Putin's policies? It's, it's really hard to say. There's a lot of unknowns here. And uh, I could speculate, but I can't decisively say. From what I can see, there's no end in sight to the war. Uh, yes, they captured a lot of the countryside. They captured a lot of like little tiny villages, but they need to capture decisive objectives like Kyrgyzstan and Maripol and Crimea in order for mm -hmm. the war to end. And uh, even if they were to do that, who's to say that Russia wouldn't remobilize and re-counterattack? But we will see where it goes. Uh, uh, but yeah, these are dangerous times because we're in a lot of in a lot of ways closer to nuclear war than we ever were before in world history because you got people like Putin actively talking about it. Yeah, but didn't this happen before many, many times, like when the Cold War and Vietnam? And yeah, but it's not quite the same because Russia is now directly involved. Instead of like fighting the Korean army, the North Korean army, or fighting the uh, the Viet Cong, you know, a U.S. ally is directly fighting the Russians on on the Russia border. So this is a little different. But uh, in some ways, it's similar, but also in a lot of ways different. This is Cold War 2.0, also partially a hot war because the United States is providing direct arms and logistics to the Ukrainian army and, and the Russian army is in direct conflict. Before, it was just another Cold War because you had uh, Donetsk and Luhansk districts, they had their own militias that were out that were trained and equipped by the Russian army. But now you have uh, now Russian troops directly involved since February, and there is no end in sight. So I, I don't know what else to, you know, what else I could say about it. You know, um, I don't know when it's going to end. Um. And it's very dangerous times. And that's all I can say.
So anything else you have to say about this before we move on to another topic? Uh, no, no, I'm fine. Uh, uh, what else would you talk about? Uh, we can talk about House of the Dragon. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I've seen the first three episodes, and I was actually pleasantly surprised. I think they're on episode five now. And I was actually pleasantly surprised by House of the Dragon. Uh, Matt Smith plays a really good villain. He's like a badass, and then you you know you learn to respect him because he's also a really good uh, military commander. But he's also brutal, and he's a sadist. He enjoys, you know, torturing uh, peasants. He enjoys uh, cutting mm-hmm. off the limbs of peasants. Uh, but yeah, Matt Smith plays a really good bad guy. And uh, uh, you have the Targaryen family. Of course, this takes place 179 years before um, the original Game of Thrones. So there's no direct context to Game of Thrones, but there is indirect context because, you know, you have the Targaryen family. They all have white hair. And uh, it's interesting. Uh but yeah, I, um, the only criticism I have of House of the Dragon is the dragons are kind of an afterthought. Like you see the dragons in the background and they don't really play a major role. And then sometimes it can be a little stuffy and it can drag on a little bit and be a little bit slow. But overall, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I thought it was just going to be a snore fest, but I thought it was pretty good. Pretty interesting character development. Uh you got the Sounds first like a prequel to look to the it is a wrong. prequel it is a prequel it's what i was saying it takes place 179 years before game of thrones oh okay did yeah. you ever watch game of thrones nope never did but um yeah game of thrones was pretty good although it had a disappointing and anticlimactic um final season uh it was season eight but um, maybe in some ways this could make up for it. But yeah, Matt Smith plays the brother of the king and he feels entitled to the throne. And by episode three, the king has taken a young wife and he's got a new heir to the throne. So you have all these people who are competing for the throne. Mm-hmm. You have the king's daughter who is chosen to be successor, but she's about to her mind of the throne is about to be overridden by the fact that he has a son and uh, you also have Matt Smith who is competing for the throne and then they're also fighting these crab pirates which are kind of weird they're basically these pirates that live out by the ocean that um, torture people and let them get eaten alive of crabs it's kind of grueling but an interesting, interesting uh, villain. I can't remember the name of the character on that. But uh, uh, back in those days, kings can take wives like nothing. You know, wow, they can get laid. Easy. Well, I mean, uh, kings were authoritarian dictators. Their word was law. They were above law. Uh, they were the enforcer of the law. They. They claim to have divine right to rule as king. And so, yeah, the the royals in Game of Thrones are very similar to uh, very similar to uh, royals in medieval Europe. 
Oh, yeah. This is what yeah. held back Europe for over a thousand years were, mm-hmm. were your European royals. It wasn't really until the uh, Black Death that um, that wiped out the majority of the European population, including the majority of the royal population, that it allowed the, pre- the peasants to have freedom to rebuild and uh, create the Renaissance and thus create a booming middle class. But, but before the Black Death in the 14th century and before the Renaissance in the 15th century, yeah, for a thousand years, we were relegated to the Dark Ages to where we basically destroyed data, anything that challenged the state religion. Um, you know, the Catholic Church for a thousand years was the state religion. It was the state religion under the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western Roman Empire, and it was the state religion in most European countries after the Roman Empire fell apart. Hmm. So, um, and it was, you know, that's the reason why Christianity became such a mainstream religion, because it was dictated by the sword. You either converted to be a Christian or you were converted by the sword. So, in other words, that you you had to be, you had to be a Christian to get ahead, or um, you were you could also be burned as a heretic if you even challenged the church. You had like the astronomer Copernicus who was burned alive at the stake by the Catholic Church, in I think it was like in the 1600s because he dared to challenge the, the church. And say that the uh, the earth revolved around the sun. The church had this religious belief that the earth was the center of the universe, so the sun revolved around the earth. So, uh, yeah. This held back science for over a thousand years. We could have gone to the moon a thousand years ago. That mm-hmm. been for state-sanctioned religion, authoritarian uh, religion and um, anti-intellectualism, and if it hadn't been for the royals of Europe holding uh, technological advance back, yeah, we could have had a cure for cancer by now, probably. Probably, probably, you know. And then we have people who are, you know, in the the Republican Party who are claiming to be, or not claiming they. They publicly identify as Christian nationalists, and the Nazis identified as Christian nationalists. So Nazis were Roman Catholic during World War II. That's one thing that we should never forget, because history tends to repeat itself if we ignore it and and forget about it. It's just going to repeat, you know. And we're not going to learn the lessons that we should have learned. Yeah. Oh, okay. By the way, you know, um, okay. Speaking of, okay, wait. First of all, did um, wait. Did the um, did the Dark Ages start after Rome fell? I think I. Um, depending on you know, there's a difference of opinion. The Dark Ages started in 391 A.D. Uh, Carl Sagan and both myself, I would say it started in 391 A.D. because 391 A.D. was where. You had a self-proclaimed Coptic Pope. Uh, I can't even pronounce his name. It's a long Greek name that I can't even pronounce. 
but he had a self-proclaimed Coptic Pope who uh, burned the library of Alexandria, destroying yeah, was, thousands of years of records in the year 391 AD. And Christian religion started to purge itself of paganism, which it viewed as a, a competitor to its power base. And you also had the Council of Nicaea before that in 316 AD under, under Emperor Constantine that created the state-sanctioned religion and the first Catholic Church created the first Bible written in Greek, which was later translated into Latin, which was later translated into, um, so it went from Greek to Latin to medieval German with the Gutenberg Bible, and then later translated into uh, archaic modern English with the uh, King James version of the Bible. And so, uh, I would argue that the Dark Ages started in 391 AD, and it didn't end until the, the early 1500s. So you had over, you had 1100 years of Dark Ages where the royals ruled, and the only people who were educated were the top 1%. Everybody else was an illiterate peasant. Uh, you had to trust um, your, your local priest or your local bishop for their interpretation of the Bible, because most people at that time couldn't read. And disease was rampant. Uh, healthcare was non-existent. You, you worked yourself to death on the farm. And the majority of your crops that you produced went to the royals, went to the dukes, noble lords and kings. And if we're not careful, we're going to return to that system but it'll just be different names for the same things. Instead of dukes, lords, and kings, it'll be corporate executives and CEOs. We're almost that way now, you know, where you you have people who are born into the executive board because their dad was on the executive board before them, and they, their dad was a shareholder, and they inherited shares from that company. You know, most of the Fortune 500 it's it's mostly just who do you know good what family were you born into like even elon musk the world's richest man he was born into a wealthy family he his daddy paid for his apartment and paid for his schooling his dad owned an emerald mine in south africa so you know to say that there are such things as self-made billionaires is just simply not true but this What's happening today correlates to the Dark Ages because we're repeating history over again. Yeah, just like the Queen of England. A lot of people are angry at the Queen because the Queen had a good life. She she won the genetic lottery. She was rich. She didn't have to go through what other people had to go through. She didn't have to worry about getting a job or getting fired or worried about, oh, my God, what am I going to eat tonight? Or how am I going to sleep tonight? You know, she didn't have these problems. That's why she lived to be 96. You know, she had a good life. She didn't have to worry about what me or you have to go through. She was never abused by her family or the police like me or anybody else. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I don't I don't think there should be a royal family. You can claim to be of royal descent and claim to be of royal blood, but it shouldn't be a state sanctioned thing. And that I just I fundamentally disagree with having a royal family. It's very archaic. And, um, you know, it's not right to the rest of the people to, uh, through their taxes, to support that kind mm -hmm. of um, 
elite class. Yeah. Uh, but we are running out of time. Oh, before we're we go. running out of time, I got I got to cut it. Right. What's what's up? What's up? What do what? All right. Did you hear what Ezra Miller is going crazy again? He thinks he's saying that he's the Messiah, and that the Flash is Jesus of the multiverse. Uh we can talk about that next time. We're out yeah, of we'll time. Talk about time. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you very much for joining me. This is Steampunk Star Raisin of The World is a Mess, and I just want to steampunk it. This is episode 77, uh, September the 21st, 2022. Yeah. That's a Wednesday. Um, you have a nice day, and I will sue 25 billion years of will. Bye.